0: One of the questions that that story that Jill just read raises for me is, what do we do with our disappointments? Did you notice that each of those three trees had a wish? And it didn't happen the way they wished, did it? They ended up in a feed box or with smelly fish or in a lumber yard. What do you do with your disappointments? It's a question similar to one that was raised by Jonathan Haidt, the NYU researcher, who said at your child's birth, if you could, in advance, would you erase all of their disappointments? He he said, imagine that when your child is born, you receive two gifts, that you receive uh, the story of your child's life in full and an eraser, and you have five minutes to use that eraser on the story and take out anything that you choose to take out. And you would look and you would scan and you might see that diagnosis, that car accident, that divorce. What would you do? How could you not take out the hard parts? Perhaps you'd be like me and I'd say, I wish, I wish, I wish I could reach through the words of this story and grab my child personally and hold them through it all and work work them around all of the hard places in their story. What Jonathan Haidt cautions us because research shows us that oftentimes growth requires adversity. What he's saying is that be very careful Because on the other side of our disappointments, there is oftentimes something that's even better than what we wished for. We're learning about that tonight, Christmas Eve. I want to read to you from a letter written by one of Jesus' followers, a man named Peter. St. Peter writes a letter about hope in the face of disappointment. I'll read it for you, but if you choose to open up the pew Bible in the rack in front of you, we're reading 1 Peter 1, uh, chapter, verse 3, on page 983. This is what Peter writes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. By his great mercy, God has given us a new birth into a living hope. Now, if you read carefully this letter, you can hear the disappointment in the background. Peter, in another sentence that comes up right away, says, you have had to suffer various trials. He doesn't name the trials, but apparently some of these are in the midst of them right now because he will speak shortly of a fiery ordeal that they're enduring. Now, this is language that we understand. We know about disappointments, especially this time of year. It's a beautiful time of year, and we try very hard to be taken into its beauty, yet it's so easy to find ourselves faced with what's not working right or hasn't gone well in our lives. We're aware of those who are not with us. We're aware of relationships that aren't what we wish they were. We're aware that we're alone or we're forgotten or we're sick or we're trapped. Afraid to look into the darkness of our world. Afraid to look into the darkness of our own hearts. It's these places that we might find ourselves tempted to take an eraser and a scrub a little bit out of our story. But Peter says, don't do it. He speaks of something better. He speaks of a living hope. And where, Peter, would this living hope come from? Where would we find it? Well, he says, you're born into it. Listen again to what he writes. God has given us a new birth into a living hope. Now, we're not surprised to hear talk of a birth on Christmas Eve. Children are a part of the story. But here, Peter speaks not primarily of the Savior's birth. He speaks of our birth. God has given us a new birth, he writes. Why? Perhaps because a birth is a beginning, isn't it? This is the one thing that we all have in common, and Peter knew all his readers have in common. They had all been born. Our lives had a beginning. At one point, we realized that we were a thing with a future, and we began to wish a life for ourselves, and then we tried to live the life that we wished. Our our wishing begins from our beginning. And so does our disappointment. I wish they would change my diapers, we must say. I wish it were Christmas and we would be opening presents right now. I wish I had cooler parents. (laughs) I wish she would pay attention to me. I wish I'd gotten into that school. I wish my job had gotten better. I wish my health were different than what it is. At this point, and others, we want to reach for that er eraser to rub it out, to wish it out, to make new wishes because our disappointment has broken in. But Peter's not talking about this birth that we all share in common. Peter's talking about what he calls a new birth. He's talking about a birth that is not the beginning of wishing. It's actually the beginning of hope, this living hope. And there is a difference between wishing and hoping. I hope you understand that. We use the word hope, like I just did, to mean wish. The Bible doesn't have a lot to say about wishing, but it has a whole lot to say about hoping. What is that difference? I think wishing is wanting something, but hoping is somehow believing that it's coming no matter what. A wish gets weaker in the face of disappointment and a hope gets stronger somehow. You can learn the difference if you're stuck on a cliff like I was several years ago. I was in college, and my best friend and I were climbing one of the walls in uh, Yosemite. And it was our wish to climb this climb. It was rather famous. And uh, we found ourselves disappointed as night fell, and we were only three-quarters of the way up the climb. And we were, um, we were prepared for a day climb. We were not prepared to spend the night on the, cli- on the face, but we couldn't, we couldn't go any further. It wasn't safe. And so we we, um, tied ourselves into a little ledge about the size of a bathtub. And now when you're on a ledge with another guy the size of a bathtub and the temperature starts dropping from 80 down into the 30s, you wish for a lot of things (laughs) like food and water and a sleeping bag. Uh, None of those things were coming despite the wish. What we needed really more than anything else was the sun to come back. And for that we hoped. You see, we were wishing for a sleeping bag, but we were hoping for the dawn. And in time, we could see the beams of light breaking across the far side of the valley and shining on the ridge above us and making their way down towards our bodies to warm us and to rescue us. Both a wish and a hope have an element of desire. But hoping adds an element of confidence, an element of expectation that something good is inevitably coming towards us from the future. And this is what Peter is trying to tell us about tonight. By his great mercy, God has given us a new birth. It begins with a birth. Hope has a beginning. Hope comes from a relationship with God. This phrase, he's given us a new birth, could literally be translated, God begat us again, to use the King James language. God birthed us again. I don't know if I can explain that to you. (laughs) This is beautiful and compelling, but confusing. What does it mean for someone who was born once to be born a second time? Maybe Peter's getting at the fact that with Jesus Christ, we have an invitation into a new family. God was born into our family 2,000 years ago in order that you and I might be born into God's family. Or maybe Peter is getting at the fact that with Jesus, we experience a whole new quality of life that we couldn't experience apart from Jesus, like a moment in which the statues of earth start speaking for themselves or our toys come to life and play together with us. Certainly, Peter means that through Jesus, our lives can be opened to the life of God, a spiritual life, a divine life, an eternal life. Now, I can't explain it, but I have experienced it. And my prayer is to share that with you tonight. When I was in high school, I found myself stumbling into faith about the same time that most of my friends were sort of walking away from faith. I was on a hiking trip with a group of people I didn't know very well. One night around the campfire, they were talking about a mutual friend who had experienced a a, a disappointment, a great disappointment, even a tragedy. He was a football player, who'd been in a car accident and evidently was now in a wheelchair. This seemed tragic and terrifying to me, but what bothered me more than anything else, and I remember this like it was yesterday, is that they were saying that this mutual friend of theirs who is now in a wheelchair seemed happier now than he had ever seemed in a football uniform. And I thought, what? How is that possible? I was terrified of wheelchairs and hospitals. How could you be happier? And the answer was, he knew Jesus. He had experienced that birth from heaven, and somehow he had found something better on the other side of disappointment in the arms of his Savior. I found this so alluring. I I pulled one of the uh, people aside and stayed up late into the night asking him, his name is Craig, every question I could think of about life. Craig is the first person I had ever met who could open up a Bible and actually answer questions that I was asking, which terrified me even more because I knew the Bible existed, but I did not grow up in a religious family. I, I was not raised as a Christian. I didn't come to church on Christmas Eve or hardly any other time. Jesus, to me, was someone I had no idea who he was. And yet, as Craig opened this book and turned its pages, I realized this book is speaking to my deepest questions. That was startling. Craig explained to me that God wanted to have a personal relationship with me. I didn't know that modern people could have an authentic, intimate, personal relationship and real relationship with God. That that was news to me. That night, I remember Craig and I prayed together and he allowed me to say yes to Jesus. He helped me find the words to invite Jesus into my life, to give me this new birth, to place the outcome of my life in Jesus's hands. It was the beginning of hope for me not wishing. Wishing is really about what we do with our lives, but hope is really about what Jesus does with our lives. That's where the inevitability comes from. God has given us, Peter writes, a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This means if a wish is about a new beginning, hope is really more about a better ending, resurrection. It's a living hope Peter offers us. Not just because it, it comes from a living person, which it does, but because the person, the living person hope comes from is one who was literally dead, but who is now alive. This is about the overturning of death. That's what a living hope is. This tells us not just about the source of the hope, but the quality of the hope. What is living hope? Well, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not an eraser. It will not erase the disappointments of your life. It's not the kind of thing that will take out the diagnosis, take away the car accident, solve the divorce. Those things are still all there. The things that I wish I had never done, I still did them. The things that I wish other people hadn't done to me, they still do them. The thing that I, things that, I, that are that I wish were not, those things still are. I don't have an eraser, but what I do have with living hope is a savior who has gone to the cross, who has offered his life for my sin, who has been dead, stone cold dead for three days, but who is now alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's where this living hope comes from. Tells us a lot about the kind of hope we're being offered. This is not about avoiding suffering or pain. It's about experiencing growth and transformation in the middle of it. This is not about stopping with sin. I wish I could tell you up here on Christmas Eve in front of all you beautifully well-dressed, good-looking people that I don't sin anymore. This is about discovering mercy that overwhelms and drowns out all of that sin, being forgiven. This is really the story of the trees, isn't it? These trees ended up where they didn't want to end up, feed box, smelly fish, lumber yard, And yet, because Jesus was in their story, they ended up with so much more than they ever could have wished. They have access to hope. Jesus brings this kind of hope into our lives. That's my story. Every time I felt disappointment and experienced deep or even superficial pain, I found that Jesus Christ has turned it into something better than I could have wanted. You may have said, well, I went through a 20-year marriage that was just awful and rotten, and after 20 years, we got divorced, and I'd frankly like to have those 20 years back. I want to tell you, if that's your case, Jesus Christ wastes nothing. Nothing is wasted with him. He redeems it all. Just like God's promise through Joel, verse 25 of chapter 2, when they were in exile, the Lord promises his people, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. Let Jesus take your disappointments. Let him transform and do more than you're able to ask or even imagine. This is living hope. Jesus changes the outcome of our disappointment. He doesn't help us avoid it. So friends, what's the meaning of your disappointment? Let me ask you finally tonight. I think if your parents had received on the day of your birth these two gifts, your story written out and an eraser and five minutes, they would have seen this moment right here. Your mother would have seen you sitting exactly where you're sitting tonight. And she would know about the disappointments that you faced and the circuitous journey you have traveled to get here tonight. She'd know, she'd see it. But I want to tell you, Because she and your father are not your only parents, but you have a God in heaven who sees you like a heavenly mother or a heavenly father, this one also sees you tonight and knows the path you've traveled to get here and knows the path that you can travel with a savior by your side in the days to come. And God, I believe, has brought each and every one of us in this room tonight for this moment because he wants to say to you, I love you. And you can trust me. And I want you to be born into my family so badly. That's why I was born into you. It's like I'm reaching through the words of the story to grab you very personally and say, I want to hold you as we travel through your life together. Will you be born again? Will Christ be born in you? That's the language we use. We're going to sing it in a minute tonight. Remember the words, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. The joy of Christmas is not about a birth that happened 2,000 years ago. It's about a birth that can happen for each of us right here, right now, tonight. I want to invite you to to pray a prayer very similar to the one that Craig invited me to prayer. And if you're willing, would you uh, bow your head and close your eyes and consider making this prayer your prayer tonight. Uh, Let's do what we can to speak to Jesus. Trust me, he's more eager to hear from you than you know. I, I wanna give you a chance to say yes to him tonight, to let him release a new heavenly birth into your life and to give you a living hope no matter what you face. Jesus will never disappoint you. As your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, hear these words, St. Peter goes on to write in verse eight of his first chapter, although you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy for you are receiving the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Friends, if you'd like to receive this gift tonight, I'm going to ask you to keep your head bowed, but to raise your hand. I know this takes courage, particularly among Presbyterians. But I ask you to do it as a way of cementing your decision. No one will see it except Jesus and me. And Jesus said, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. So so right now, keep your heads bowed, but if you'd like to say yes to Jesus, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He sees you. He sees you. Thank you. If you're ready to put the outcome of your faith in his hands, to look through the pages of the gospel by faith into the face of the Christ child and say yes. If you are, You can pray with me right now and receive what Peter calls a new birth into a living hope. One last thing before we pray. If you've made this decision tonight, we want to help you grow in your faith. Just like an infant grows into maturity over time and with the help of a family, we'd like to be that family for you. And so before you leave tonight, would you take one of the Connect cards out of the rack in front of you and just put some contact information and write on the card, new birth. New birth. And we'll, if you have dropped that in one of the baskets by the door, we'll reach out to you in the new year. All right, let's pray together. If you can pray this prayer honestly, pray it in your heart, phrase by phrase with me, as though it were your own prayer. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for your great mercy. Thank you that there's nothing I need to do to receive the gift you give me in Jesus and there's nothing I have done that can keep me from receiving it in full. Thank you that he was born for me, lived for me, died for me, rose for me, ascended for me, and comes again in glory for me. Tonight I put my trust in him and claim my place in Jesus as your beloved child now and for eternity. Thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for living hope. Fill me, I pray, with your Holy Spirit that I might grow and mature in this new life and so that I might face the challenge of this and every day together with you. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray this prayer, amen.